We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcasting Network. I'm Pete, and there's no Darius or Trudell today, but I am joined by a special guest as we preview the upcoming NBA draft. Similar to last year, now it wasn't that when we recorded this, but we don't have a pick right now in either the first or second round. You never know, we could buy a pick at some point, but that doesn't mean you can't find a good player. And... Our guest today joined us last year on the show to preview the draft, and out of all the guys he could have led with, when I asked him the question that you're about to hear, check out who he brought up first. All right, Mike, this is the part I've really been looking forward to, because again, you got a great history on this front, but who are some of the guys that are projected in the second round, even to undrafted free agency, that this year you're pounding the table for them, going like, this guy is going to be a contributor in the NBA, they're going to have a career. One guy I wanted to mention is Austin Reeves. He's oh, the, yes, you love you some Reeves, yes, yes. So it's been mentioned before about how the Lakers play with power, and he's such an aggressive player as a 6'4 guard. He only has a 6'6 wingspan, and I think he's 23 years old. But what makes him unique is at, out of Wichita State, he was a catch-and-shoot role player and shot tremendously well behind the arc. Then he was given a ton more responsibility as a lead initiator, and even though some of those opportunities look a little wild. He's getting a 56% free throw rate. And a lot of his three-point shots are done off the dribble, and he's doing lead initiating and showing some advanced passing. So he just plays with a certain level of aggression and plays up to his physicality, and he brings that all the way to the rim. Mike Garcia, welcome back to the show, my man. How you doing? Doing well, man. How are you? I'm good. It's great to have you back. Uh, No pressure. We're going to be expecting you to find the next Austin Reeves every single year from here on out. But I've known you for almost 20 years, and Austin Reeves finding those dudes in the second round and undrafted is not unusual for you. So I think there's a good chance that we uh, find a few hidden gems today, thanks to you. However, let's start with Austin. Um, In that clip that we just played, you were talking about him being this big, aggressive guard, and I kept thinking of all the times this year that... Uh, that Darius was delighting in the fact that Austin Reeves went to big guard university, right? Yeah. But on the defensive end, one thing that we saw this year was a lot of teams try to attack his chest. A lot of teams tried to go through him this season. And 
so in that, one of the thoughts was, okay, he needs to work on his jumper, which he said that he was working on that, but also his strength. He needs to get in the weight room, right? He can even skip the film room. He's, he's, uh, you know, <laughs> straight to the weight room for, for Austin, right? But, um, when asked recently, one of the things that he brought up was his flexibility, that he's working on his flexibility as a player. I think you would be a great person to speak on that, Mike. So as someone who's been very familiar with his game for a minute now, what does that add to Austin's game? So using yoga flexibility for players in general kind of helps them out in terms of staying loose and using different angles for how they attack. Usually when we talk about players who attack the basket, they lower their shoulder, they kind of lower their center of gravity and we'll refer to like a steep shin angle. I know that's a very specific term, but generally when players attack, when they're kind of leaning forward for that first step or even their second step, the shin is kind of parallel to the floor. So they're extending their leg out that much more. Yoga helps out with that as well. So if Austin is going to take that flexibility to in terms of, uh, well, for muscle recovery and in terms of getting better at attacking the basket or perhaps just being more relaxed as a shooter, then I'm all for it. That's great. It's so fascinating how that impacts all the different, you know, parts of of a player, you know, that what you were talking about there in driving to the basket, that first step that getting parallel to the ground in terms of your driving position, that allows, you know, you get more more force, you're gen- generating yes. more force and you can really vary the length of the of your steps in yes. terms of driving the short step, long step type thing. So talk to me about about that, about driving to the basket and that the importance of that short step, long step and creating that type of force when when doing that. So it's there's a there's a not just in terms of using the short step and long step to get one foot uh, past the base of a defender, but it's also lowering the center of gravity to accelerate towards the hoop or whatever direction the player wants, as well as, well, the modern NBA is more about physicality. There's a lot more of um, using your shoulders to bump defenders off as opposed to just using outright bursts and blowing by the guy. So if you can lower your center of gravity to a point of regardless of the height of the player and use your shoulder, the, uh, the offhand to bump or nudge the defender off, then you're gaining your position. You get the step and you're on your way to the hoop in mid-acceleration, that's what gets you to the hoop overall. But if it's Austin Reeves, how far are you going with that shoulder bumps, right? Like there's a strength <laughs> com- component with, with it too, right? And, and Austin's really good with this. Don't get me wrong. Like he's got all those tools. And I think of it almost in this like martial arts type of way. I call those yes. shoulder strikes, right? And there's a saying um, like when a shooter is coming off of a screen, you know, and one of the, the ways that you coach it, at least they used to, is the idea of clip the hip, right? Like you're getting down low and then your shoulder is kind of clipping the hip of the screen setter or as close as you can to that and that keeps the defender from getting in between the two, right? And, right? and all of that. And so there's all this technique to it, but you got to have some meat on your bones to be able to pull that <laughs> off, right? Absolutely. So Mike, Mike, talk to me about, about Austin from the strength component, because that was the one thing where I was like, oh, he's so good. He's such a good ball player. But that's the one thing come playoff time where I'm like, oh, they're going to target him and try to make sure that he can hold up. So one of the things I like about Austin is Initially, I knew that he wasn't going to have the strongest frame, but he was definitely going to have the energy and the motor to kind of compensate for that. And any kind of strength addition is going to help out at both ends, maybe with some uh, defensive versatility or just driving against a little bit bigger players. One thing that 
is very technical when it comes to attacking the basket isn't so much of using that shoulder strike that you're referring to to dislodge a defender, but the timing of the strike. You know how defenders, they'll move mm. laterally and then they'll have that one foot on the ground as they're moving uh-huh. laterally or both And that's feet where up. they're weak. Yeah, that's, that's where, where you want to hit them. Right, exactly. Yeah. So you lower the center of gravity, you do that shoulder strike, you hit them at the uh-huh. right time, you get all the space and... My gosh, if Austin has an extra five pounds on him, I'm not going to say 20 pounds. That's a little absurd. But sure, sure. Even, but just following through with the technique properly and just being able to absorb contact and dish out a little bit of contact tied in with his motor will help out at both ends of the floor for sure. That's been a super fun part of the game for me to learn more about the last couple of years with the melt footage. I get all these like up close angles, right? And it's like, oh, they really are using like the timing of it. LeBron is a master of that, right? He he is obviously has the physical tools, but LeBron will hit a guy when he's like standing sideways on one foot or like one foot crossed over the other. Like when exactly at that moment when he's least unbalanced and he's most vulnerable to being moved physically, but in a totally legal way. And he he like nails that timing just over and over and over again. And that's something I don't quite understand how that happens. I'm curious, how does a player know when to employ that? Or is that just something that as you see that you're you're like, damn, he's good at this. Just in terms of the NBA draft, there's a lot more of these technicalities that have come through later, which is why I think, especially with the last set of NBA draft classes, there's a lot more depth to each rookie year upcoming so for you know we'll find that second rounder that uh undrafted player but they're able to nail this kind of timing that we never really looked for before i mean if it was like 2010 we're looking for a guy who hey can you out quick your defender can you get to the hoop now it's okay there's this technicality (laughs) component and maybe you're not as fast and maybe you don't jump the highest but can you get your step on your defender and if so how and i see a lot more of this kind of technicality more with these past few recent years with the NBA draft. So when people talk about athleticism, they think about, oh, quickness, speed, verticality. Can you jump really high at the rim? And then in my mind, there's the other part where it's almost like bird speed. That's the only way I could phrase it. We we think of Larry Bird as this guy who can't run, he can't jump, but he could move his hands really fast and he was always in the right position to do what he wanted on the floor. He was really good at this kind of technicality And that's really hard to exploit. So now that we have these players that can do that much better, it's, oh, well, you can create the advantage. You use all of these tools to do so, not just a quick first step. And yeah, and they become, uh, you know, they're effective NBA players. Do you think that comes from do you think there's been like an explosion of player development over the last 10 years where like the guys coming into the league? Cause the guys, some of the guys that you sent me to, to check out kind of in advance of this pod, like I'm watching these guys and I'm like, Mike, these are first round picks, right? Like in terms of like their skill set and the types of things they can do on both ends of the floor, just like, like you said, it's like 10 years ago. I, I, you know, I'm watching these guys now. I'm like, these guys are really good. If they're mid second rounders or undrafted free agents, just the, the spike in player development. I, yeah. What do you think that comes from? Is there a structural thing within like the basketball community that's happened in that time? I'm sure there's a certain level of uh, structure in terms of player development overall, but I mean, just YouTube in general gives you so much more access to watch all these kinds of players. And you can take a little bit of from from each player. And it's not just the superstars, right? If I'm looking at um, Nikola 
Jokic. And we know he's a strong dude. He's a big dude. Why is he so effective on the floor? Oh, because he knows how to time his passes and make those reads at the right time. Mm -hmm. Or he sets a screen in a certain way. Or he's a three-level shooter, and his idea of getting a step is just bumping a guy. And he's still able to shoot a floater over. He's not relying on these run jump tools that we're typically used to. So the the players that I referred you to are uh, examples of players that use that technicality and uh, varying levels of physicality along with it in order to make themselves effective on the floor. Just to add a little bit more, the NBA court has shrunk because all these guys are huge. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Some of the guys you sent me, man, let's take a break and get into the wings of the, the perhaps hidden gems at the wing position in the 2022 NBA draft. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Mike, this comprised a decent amount of the guys that you sent me. And like I said in the first segment, I watched a couple of them, like three of them. I'm, I'm legit like that. That guy should have an NBA career. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so I think the most well-rounded of them was mm-hmm. Julian Champagny. Yeah. Uh, he's someone who there's a great deal of versatility. It was, I saw him more as like a jack of all trades type yes. of player. Um, but there's some of the shots that he was taking out of like jab steps and different like gather points and different, yep. just, I don't know. There's a, there's a good well-rounded player there. Talk to me. So Wait, before I start, I have a question for you. Okay. When you're a shooter and you're behind the arc, how do you want your defense to attack you? Because you you know you're expecting a closeout. Do you want a 1v1 situation where, oh, I'm just going to pop right over this guy after a jab step? Or do you want the running, attacking, closeout kind of defense where they'll jump past you or go for your shoulder? I I like the, the flybys. The okay. second one, right? Because okay. I think that starts at least a sequence um, okay. where um, it's funny. I was talking to somebody recently about the like that moment, that ability to tack a closeout is like kind of we were debating the importance of that versus like the oh, I got to close out hard to this guy in the first place. Basically, like in the whole three and D paradigm, like mm-hmm. the ability to attack the closeout, that space there is kind of underappreciated, under discussed. Yes. So I'll take that flyby. Give me the five on four after the flyby. Okay. The, the reason why I ask is because when Julian Champagny takes his shots, there are a lot of 1v1 jab step pull up. Oh, yeah. And those are hard. That's why those I are hard. flyby. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 
So I figure, well, if he could just pull up over a guy, even off a small move, then he's used to shooting under duress or any kind of contest. If he can handle that, then a closeout must be easier. So I would expect his accuracy to kind of level out at mid-30 to low 40% anyway. So that's exactly who I'm... Just to add on top of that, I mean, we never relied on Danny Green to attack a closeout. We just right. wanted to... We just hoped that he could hit a contested shot. That's kind of what I'm looking for. Well, can he, though, like his... His knockdown open threes, he seems to be okay at this. And I, again, I want to preface, like, I'm speaking from no position of authority on this. Mike <laughs> sent me over some guys. I am giving blink observations from watching them, right? But right. Mike's the guy who's in the weeds on this, right? So I may be off in anything that I say. But it seems like, remember, I don't know if you remember, like, Luol Deng or Riza would be guys who, like, their contested three-point percentage really wasn't that different than their catch and shoot like wide open three point percentage and like he struck me as that kind of shooter who's like fine as a shooter but not necessarily a sniper but he's got a lot of like shot diversity like he can hit a bunch of different types of shots at an okay level yeah that's the thing i was primarily looking out for and the thing that i found really funny was uh, i think i've mentioned in in twitter that every community draft i'm in he's either not picked or he's a late second i'm like this guy makes shots under contest i mean Okay, yeah, his usage was high, and it, that's going to change, and that's the big step for him, really. Because you know, his I, I mean, us- I'm not even sure that's a bad thing, though. You know, yeah. Uh, my only concern, usually, when I see high usage to lower usage, it's can a player handle not getting the rockets much and keep his you know shooting rhythm? Right. That. Every you're touching it every five possessions instead of yeah. every other possession type thing. Right. Yeah. So that's. Honest, that's my only big concern. Otherwise, he's not this powerful athlete. I wish he was, but you know, he'd be a first rounder if he was, right? But if he does that Danny Green role well and he can switch a little bit and just show some verticality in the paint, just provide some resistance defensively, just go to your corners, don't make it complicated, hit your shots, throw the pass if the guy's open, we're good. That's all I'm asking. And, so, and a couple of a couple of these guys here, like it was very easy to visualize, kind of them filling that role. Talk to me about him on the defensive end, though, because I he is someone that I think that he's a. I saw a good mix of like a high IQ player with like really quick yeah. hands who can like yeah. force some turnovers. You don't always get that in the same player, the high IQ guy who can also get you out into transition. Yeah. So defensively, I was just happy to see some competence in terms of. Being able to provide some resistance against wings, like I don't expect him to be a wing stopper. Just, hey, can you move slide your feet a little bit? Can you provide the chest bump? Is that really going to deter you? It doesn't really deter him. Great. Okay, so now if there's a defensive switch, how do you handle a big? Verticality, he uses his chest bump. He keeps his base kind of low. I'm not expecting you to block a shot. Bonus, if you can strip the basketball because you have quick hands, great. But this is a role player. I'm not expecting forced turnovers. It's a bonus if they can. But for Julian Champigny and the kind of athleticism that he displays or doesn't really display, then I'll take any kind of resistance defensively. And that's where he's at. For sure. And you're getting some of that, like with the high usage stuff, he's not unfamiliar with having the ball in his hands. So he can, on the offensive end, also kind of move the ball, kind of keep the wheel going. Now, Mike, who did you think, again, that I was, was going to be my favorite of the guys that you sent to me? Oh, um, uh, Jabari Walker. And correct. I, you are correct, sir. <laughs> and yes. I would I was gonna guess that it was because of his defensive technique in all facets, how he closes out, oh, how and he, his tools too. His he, tools too, tool. man. Like Yeah, talk to us about uh, you nailed it. He was my favorite of the guys you sent. So um the easiest thing about Jabari Walker is he has energy, he has motor, and every single time I see him play, regardless of matchup, I never worry about his defensive technique. When it's a one v one switch, 
He's a good position. He stays low. He could test well. When he's closing out, it's a really good hard closeout, and he's not drawing a foul. When he's going up against bigs, he's he's vertical, and then he attacks the defensive glass. That's everything we need out of a Laker role player, regardless of the position that he's at. And then on top of that, okay, he's a mid-30% three-point shooter. That's what the Lakers need. It would be nice if it draws gravity, but if he gets open shots, I'm not going to complain. I will take he's that more every time. The, he's one of those guys, man, if you put him next to people who have gravity, like he won't have gravity of his own, but like against like if, I don't know, I saw a good shooter like with his feet set and mm-hmm. that, maybe not a lot beyond that, but just those threes, like please just make this open corner three type of thing. He, he makes those shots. Yeah, Th- that's exactly what we're looking for. And the thing that really stood out to me is we're both fans of his defensive technique. That's what's going to keep him on the floor. And he's not yeah. a foul trouble guy. So, yes, those he's a high motor player. Mike, yeah. Th- those closeouts, Mike, where he's like talking, his closeouts, like the ability to bother a shot while being under control. Like, one of the hardest things to do defensively is close and recover. And I'm yes. watching him close and recover. And I'm like, man. So, like, talk to me about how, like, the importance of a guy like that kind of maintaining the architecture of your defense and how, like, how a guy like that really helps. So, it, it just provides a minimal weakness. You have a really good five-player shield, right? And what you're trying not to do is get any part of that shield compromised in any kind of way. That means good positioning from the top, recognizing where the ball is and reacting to it properly, making the correct defensive move to that. Jabari Walker does all of those things. And the hardest part to that with Jabari Walker, and let's also tie in Keon Ellis because there's an element to his game that does mm-hmm. the same thing. High motor guys are really foul prone. And one of the hardest adjustments for a high motor player is mm. they can't just go all out on everything. That's instant fouls. That's two fouls in five minutes. You're off the floor. You can't play. Right. But now you're tying in. Oh, this is the correct defensive technique. I'm just here to bother a shot. If I can lower that contested three point shot to 20%, not make it a 40% open shot, not make it a three pointer and one then that's a defensive win. And that's where Jabari Walker really helps with the entire situation. On top of that, let me just oh lead into Keon Ellis, if you don't mind. Um, with Keon, it was a little bit disappointing how his player height came out to six three and a half without shoes. And he does have long arms. So he's about Jordan Clarkson size, let's just say. But okay. uh, unfortunately... I hate admitting this. I weigh more than him. He was roughly listed at 170 pounds. He makes up for that in pure motor. And one of the best things that we were just alluding to with Jabari Walker is he showed that his ability to rein in the foul trouble while still being a high motor player and creating a lot of deflections and bothering a lot of shots. He steals at a 4% rate, which is like two steals a game. And yeah. He doesn't mind playing physical regardless of his frame. And that's super important. That's the hardest thing to look for. We look for guys, oh, they're big. They could push off guys. We see players get moved around. Sometimes we just need to bother a pass, block off a lane, uh, contest a rebound. These are just energy plays. And if you could just do those plays without fouling, then we're good. There are battles down low that happen in the NBA that I think we don't always talk about on the defensive end. We're very rightfully so focused on the ability to protect the rim or to get chest to chest with a guy, right? And but 
I'd say in the finals, you know, the point I was hammering about ball handling, right? And yeah. attacking a, a team's handle. Like that is a way to win. It is a way to impact the game. And I thought that we saw that. And so that ability to bother a low gather point or bother a guy's like left-handed dribble and make him like yeah. step back and reset his move. Just like those are small little micro wins within a possession that if you have, if you have smaller players, the, the, you have to be those players have to be better at being small and so the best defenders that are small like that are like i'm gonna win all of the on the ground battles yes this is my absolutely. territory i'm yeah. not gonna beat you 11 feet above the rim but that attacking down low your gathers your strips all of that stuff i think that we have i don't think we, we quite have enough appreciation for that uh, absolutely and we saw some of that defensive energy with austin reeves and Wenyan gabriel and stanley johnson and they had quite an effect Later in the season, even when the team could have looked better, but with Keon Ellis and Jabari Walker, that kind of discipline and defensive intensity and those fundamentals being ran, okay, well, now we're going to surround LeBron and AD with these kinds of players who can get that extra possession, who can get that extra stop. And for rookies, I'm not expecting much personally. I'm thinking 10, 15 minutes a game. If you could steal those Mm -hmm. minutes at positions where the Lakers are uh, roster-wise kind of weak, especially at wing, those are wins. So that's where it's at. Man, we were getting our butts kicked in that like start as the second quarter and fourth quarter. That's when those rookies would be playing, right? Yeah. Is like, be a good defender, run the floor, you know, get some deflections, knock down your open, open shots. What do you think of Ellis offensively before we move on? So my favorite part about Keon Ellis is he's a high-volume three-point shooter at all corners. And while that's mid-30%, mm-hmm. Um, he does that off dribble handoff. That's fine. Yep. Catch and shoot. And then he knows when he's covered and he knows that the teammate is up at uh, 15 feet away and that's the next pass over. He has no problem seeing that pass as well. And then that guy gets the open shot. Great. The second part is you were just mentioning about attacking closeouts and how important that is. When there is a wide open lane, that's where the verticality really shows. And he attacks with some matter above the rim. He's not just this floor guard that's stuck to the floor. He can get up there too. He just needs that two-step mm-hmm. space in order to do it. Nice. Very good stuff, man. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll move on from the wings and, and start with uh, probably the most fun player that Mike sent my way. All right, sometimes you'll send me a guy and he'll do things that like make me laugh with the his ball skills and ball handling things. Trevion Williams was one of those players. What an incredibly fun player. I I have my doubts about his translatability to like the highest levels of the game. But big man out of Purdue and like big dude, wide guy, right? Yeah. Like not particularly great jumper or anything. This dude throws some of the nastiest passes you will ever see out of the post. Talk to me about Trevion Williams, man. What a fun player. So Trevion is roughly 6'8 with a 7'2 wing, wingspan. He's 260, 270 pounds. And sometimes we overthink the draft. And this is where I think uh, it kicks in for Trevion Williams. When Stephen Curry came out in his draft, people said he was too small and he can't defend. And he was easily the best shooter of the draft. And he had that one skill. Well. Fast forward to his career, and he's got, what, four rings now? So uh-huh. with Trevion Williams, he's not the tallest big. He doesn't. He's not the, you know, he's not a major lob target. But he is great at finding open players in the corners 
or off cuts on and he can hit him with the pass. And my favorite thing about his game is sure. Yes, it's the passing, but it's the kind of passing where he throws the pass when the defender isn't looking. They're not even expecting that the ball is getting thrown in that direction. The teammates got the shot and it's either at the cup or it's open. And that's all that matters. And he's got these massive hands yes, he's got mitts. that he's just like whipping the ball. So he's like palming the freaking ball yep. with one hand, yeah. like on some of these and just like whipping the ball all over the course with these like hook passes behind his head. If I was in Golden State's front office, I would be with all them shooters they got. Yeah. Could you imagine that, Mike? Well, I was thinking of all the s- split cuts that they, that they would do. And Trevio would just be like, OK, right. how many layups at threes do just, you want? He would just dish about all day long. Well, and he can dribble too. Yes. Again, this guy's like 6'8", 270. He did this one move, Mike, like behind the back, like first behind the back, then crossover, up, like brought it back down and looped it over for the layup. And I was like, what the? <laughs> like, so if like from the like, we overthink things. Yeah. So I don't think he can guard the perimeter. Um, and I don't think he, like, he's going to be a defensive liability yeah. of sorts. And just that right there at the five position, like, yeah, it's rough. you're, you're, yeah. But this dude is a hooper, Mike, like in the way where like Austin is like, oh my God, that movie just made it was nasty. Same type of guy, but as a big dude. So in the Lakers case, it's me thinking of Trevion next to AD. And I'm just like, look, Trevion, if you could just hold a guy in the um, post and let AD help you out goodness. defensively. We have this passer on mm. offense who will find open shooters. And I don't really like the idea of finding open corner shooters and then they don't get the ball because someone is just at the cup or they're in the middle of their move. Trevion is not that kind of guy. And maybe to some extent mm-hmm. he overpasses. I will take overpassing for this team. They're open shots. And that's what oh, I'm looking goodness. for. Yeah. Right. We're not I'm not particularly looking for a lot target. I wish he was more of a scoring threat in the paint. He's got huge hands. I, I have some hope there. Right. He's just under a 60 percent free throw shooter. I wish that was better. But if he could get guys open shots, that's something I would say of a point guard. I'm asking that out of a center. If we have two guys on the floor like that, there's got to be open shots somewhere for somebody all the time. You remember uh, Onuaku a couple years ago? Of course. Does he does he remind you of him at all? Uh, now that you mention him in terms I wanted him to be good. <laughs> I wanted him to be good so bad. Well, like the, the upside, well, with Onuwaku and in this case with Trevion is you're looking for the one thing that they could do to stay on the floor if they're not always getting the ball and making those passes or being a scoring threat. He can defensive rebound. That's that's the best I can ask. Okay. I'm like, if you can crash the boards, we have a reason for you to stay on the floor. You can get defensive help from different areas of the floor, but just get us open shots, please. And he can do I that. I want to believe, Mike. He talked me into it. He talked me into it. I want to believe. No, that guy's really fun. Check out his, his highlights if you if you uh, haven't. And then now let's get into some of the guards, Mike. Give me some of the guards that, uh, that stand out to you. So Quentin Jackson is a name that hasn't been talked about as often. He was uh, worked out by the Lakers recently. And he's 6'3", 6'4", guard from Texas A&M. He just has a mid 40% free throw rate. He's really aggressive when he attacks when he attacks the basket just think of a guy like let's say kind of kcp sized and then you know how guys when they attack the basket they get their two strides and they explode up for the hoop that's who he is he's a little bit older Mm -hmm. he's a high 30 percent three-point shooter but he can attack and he's i think he's mid 40 percent from two-point range he's a high energy bouncy guard and he finishes well at the rim too 
I don't understand why he's not getting looked at more often. Maybe it's an age thing, but I think he's from uh, high school in LA. Can't think of it offhand, but every part of me says, bring him home. I want to see him play. He plays with energy. He's aggressive. He'll shoot. That's what I want to see on the floor. Yeah, he was of all the guys you sent me, I thought he was the best athlete. Yeah. And I think that that idea of a player being a little bit older plays into actually I think would be a good thing for us, right? Like that's something that we should be looking for and and where guys like why do you think guys get undervalued in that age range? Like yeah. what's your philosophy on that, Mike? That like how do you factor in age into these okay, evaluations? So I'm not ageist when it comes to the draft. Let's start with that. And I had to I had to rethink my draft philosophy a little bit. And it was what I came up with is every player is a project. The only thing is the guys who are picked at the top are just ex- expected to contribute, but they still have things to work on. Every year we look at rookie players and they are rarely positive impact players from the jump. And it's not like, oh, Here's Larry Bird. Oh, here's plus 30 wins. It That doesn't happen anymore, right? So we look at guys like, oh, well, um, let's say I got, oh, let's draft Ben Simmons. Okay, yeah, he's a great talent from the jump. Where's my plus 30 wins? That's not going to happen. So everybody has yeah. something to work on. And people project of, oh, this guy, we can he can be a superstar. Sometimes players are who they are. And if you see within their personality that they're aggressive, that they want to attack, they're high energy players, that they're willing to play both sides of the floor. Those are the guys that can actually play. So I try to kind of skip age in that sense and just say, can he play? And if the answer is yes, he's on the list. That's who I want on my team. So that's what I'm all about with the NBA draft. I love it. I love it. And so I'm going to pose to you the uh, the question I posed to you last year. Any of the, the guys left over, anyone we haven't talked about um, who stand out to you? Now, I know I think some of this list were those guys yeah. in the first place, right? But um, but yeah, give me give me some more names out there and quick little uh, rundowns on them. I had a hunch you were going to ask me this kind of question. Uh, one name that I didn't tell you was David Roddy. I don't know if you've heard that name before. No. He's from Colorado State. He's roughly 6'5", 260. Okay. So think of... Oh, wow. Yeah, right? But he's not a center. He's a high energy, three level shooting, four ish player that rebounds well, has a high assist rate. And I don't think he's ranked highly because he's from a smaller school and people don't know where to put him. We thought of Talon Horton Tucker as the guy whose position isn't really clear, right? But his basketball ability clearly was. And so when it's David Roddy, it's, oh, here's a guy who's a stretch four, who's a high motor rebound guy, and he can drive and kick and attack the paint. And what am I missing here? I don't think I'm missing anything. This guy, he has a 4% block rate. He has a 2% steal rate. I, he's not in foul trouble. What am I missing? I mean, that's. And he can shoot? He can shoot. Wait, wait, wait. So, wait, wait. He's 6'5", 260, Mike? <laughs> yeah. Yes, he's 6'5", 260, or roughly around there. He's a he's a big dude at that height. He's playing the wrong sport, <laughs> yeah. Mike. He, that's a defensive end. Well, what's wrong with the defensive How end? How are you 6'5", 260? Now, I mean, that, that's a good point. I can see why that would be. You described an alien. like. <laughs> wow, man. 6'5", 260. And if he's Joe Roddy. And if he shoots high 30% or low 40% behind the arc, and he's 40% from mid-two, and he's roughly 70% at the rim, and he likes playing from the post. Don't get me wrong. That's who he is as a player. 
uh, in terms of self-creation, but he's a very comfortable picket pop shooter or catch and shoot shooter behind the arc. Okay, so the guy can create and he can pass off the dribble. What am I missing here? I can't find the big thing that I'm missing with this guy, especially when it comes to motor. Now, I'll give you, okay, his perimeter defense won't be specified for wings. It would be more ideal if he defends an interior player. I will give you that. But Okay, and he can do that. Lord knows he's got a strong base to work with. I mean, this is the same thing with Trevion. With Trevion, we love the passing. Well, here's this other guy who's every bit that kind of strength, more explosive at the rim, three-level shooter, has some of that passing ability. Okay, I'm trying to fill in the blank. 6'5", 260. Sorry, Mike, I'm I'm not going to be able to move on from that, but I will watch him as soon as we get off of this. I appreciate you hit, uh, holding one in, in reserve uh, for, for that question at the end. Mike, this has been a ton of fun. You are a wellspring of knowledge. Please tell everyone where they can find your work. Uh, they can find me at lakersdraft.substack.com or at Canyon Driver on Twitter. I just wanted to thank all of the people who have subscribed and followed up with me with the draft this year. Uh I've been a little bit lesser with draft coverage, but people do ask and make requests, and I try to fulfill those requests even leading up to draft day. So I'm happy to do that for people, and thanks for reading. Mike, appreciate you, man. Can't wait to have you back on uh, next year. And if we get one of these dudes on here, we'll have you back on again to talk maybe some summer league. All right. uh, Hope everyone enjoyed that. Um, We'll be back tomorrow. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Miss it. Brian, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Brian. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.